0: This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels
1: and Maxwell Bogue. Hi, everyone. My name's Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And I'm here, as always, with Maxwell Bogue. Hey, Joris. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Max? I'm fine,
0: thanks. You know surviving so who surviving do we have today is- <laughs> yeah, <right.
1: laughs> surviving is good surviving, surviving is good. Is well, good. today <laughs> today we're joined by benny Bueller, and benny is uh ceo and founder of uh, velo 3d and uh, yeah we're very excited to have him so welcome to the show benny
2: good morning thank you for having me
1: anytime benny anytime anytime so so yeah benny you've uh Really, Benny's really founded Velo, and Velo came out of stealth, out of nowhere, in fact, at one point, to surprise everyone with a kind of powder bed fusion-like process, with a lot of process control that made powder bed fusion a lot less like a black box, and was able to print parts uh, in, a, in a more controlled way, with less supports, and in a more industrial way. And that's why uh, Velo3D is a very exciting startup in the space. So, yeah, Benny, so how did you come to found Velo3D? How did you come to get involved with that?
2: Yeah, so uh, my background is uh, in uh, physics and in technology. And for all all of my career, I developed systems in different areas. And uh, I uh, joined uh, Kostler Ventures, an investment firm, uh, in search of a good idea to to, to start my own company. And I actually was not looking at all on 3D printing, but uh, I got aware of... uh, a rocket company that was 3D printing the rocket engine. Mm -hmm. And uh, every part on this engine that they designed was Mm non-manufacturable. And this this was a group of very smart people. And Mm -hmm. the fact that these parts were non-manufacturable caused them very long development time and very long iterations on each part. And as I started to look at this problem, I actually didn't know initially that it was non-manufacturable. It just took them forever to prototype a single part. And as I uh, was looking into this, I found that this problem, that the designs people were making were non-manufacturable by design, if you want. And that they had to spend a lot of time iterating their designs until they were able to compromise them to the point that they were manufacturable. When I, when I saw that, that shocked me because this was very different than the, what I thought about 3D printing from the outside, which kind of the big story that you hear is 3D printing is this uh, ultimate technology that you can manufacture practically any design that you would uh, invent. And uh, it turned out it's extremely limited. It has different limitations than different technologies, but it's extremely limited and extremely difficult to design for. As I spoke with more and more people that were using the technology and I saw the universality of that, I basically decided to found a company that will solve that and will actually allow people to print all the parts that they need. And the vision that I had is you should have only two statements. What is the minimum feature size and what's the maximum part size? Beyond that, mm-hmm. within a specific material, do whatever you want. And uh, this is the vision that the company was founded to realize and uh, gradually we are getting closer and closer to this vision and i can say that today more than 90 maybe even 95 percent of the parts we are seeing are parts that completely out of the box we can print with no compromise on the design performance
1: and 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 that's that's actually huge i mean the your vision when it like like initially, if you would have told me the time, I probably would have thought you were crazy. Actually, to be honest, <laughs> uh, being like like given the the that how how ambitious that is, I mean, I think uh, and it's interesting that you came outside the industry and kind of assumed that it would be easier than it was, and that made you uh, kind of make it uh, more, uh, you know, tackle it more more head on. Let's say. And, I, I, but I, I'm, I'm not yeah. I'm
2: not sure I'm not sure that uh, that it, I thought it was easy. Uh, so my background, as I said, is in the developing systems. And the first 10 years of my career was in the technology unit of the Israeli intelligence where every system that we developed was kind of a mission impossible system when we started. We, we didn't know how to do it. And it took us mm-hmm. a few months just to figure out how to, fig- you know, how to even attack this problem. When I started to talk about this with people, people told me this will be very valuable, but that's in- completely impossible. So when we started mm-hmm. this, we actually didn't know how to do it. We just knew mm-hmm. what is the end game. That we wanted to have
1: so what, what do you mean that the technology unit is israeli intelligence you're just expecting me to <laughs> skip over that <laughs> so are you telling me you made like like rubber masks and stuff for people wearing like tennis tennis outfits is that is that what what, what, what am i supposed to imagine about doing that what, what was that like or what can you tell me about what that was like
2: <laughs> yeah so so think think about something between the nsa and mm-hmm. mr q from the the movies okay okay so. Yeah. yeah so very complicated systems very very yeah. uh, sophisticated and bringing very valuable intelligence <clears throat> actually the 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 story of this unit has been told in the book startup nation but i will not retell okay. it now <laughs> okay okay oh,
1: that's good that's good i mean uh, i'll look into that i think i think i have that book i was given it by somebody uh from extra i think uh but i did not read it <laughs> so i'm sorry i'll get to that i'll get to that but that's, that sounds really exciting and wh- when did you change then because you went then from doing that to working for applied materials and stuff like that but why did you change to the private sector from the israeli military
2: so i, I actually uh, moved to the united states uh immigrated to the united states uh, my wife uh, wanted to start a postdoc in stanford hmm. and uh, so i, I we, we we came in uh, actually when we came here I went on an unpaid leave for a year and then mm-hmm. uh, uh, basically uh, retired from the army with a fax. So, <laughs> so. You faxed it? You yep, I did. <laughs> <Okay>. Nice, classy. <laughs> very very yeah.
0: good.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then- if If people still remember what a fax is right exactly' yeah. <laughs> yeah. You
1: might need to explain that to the it's like a tweet <laughs> yeah. but even, but but it's like a hard co- it's like a
2: print <laughs> of a tweet <laughs> exactly. on paper yeah the same number the same number of bytes as a tweet, but it's yeah. A <laughs> Oh, uh,
1: but um, and then uh, I have a really great story about a fax, but that'll never make it into the uh, into the <laughs> transmission. But anyway, um, uh, <laughs> so so and then and then you were supposed to do postdoc. You're supposed to she was supposed to do the postdoc. You were supposed to take it easy, but you didn't, right?
2: Yeah. So so I joined the <laughs> uh, uh, applied materials, and I worked on yeah. electron beam inspection system, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. basically looking for very small defects. Uh, think of that as twenty, mm-hmm. thirty nanometer defects in uh, semiconductor yeah. chips using electron beam. Uh, from there, I actually moved to work on the most sophisticated equipment in semiconductor, which is the printers the print the masks from which all chips are basically copied. These are like the stencils mm-hmm. that are the master, the master stencils of the chips. And this is like a mm-hmm. 25 million dollar piece of equipment, very sophisticated mm-hmm. equipment, very more precise. And uh, and from that, I moved to uh, solar industry. I spent mm-hmm. uh, almost five years in for solar um which is a great american company uh, the only large solar company that is western uh, out, outside of china I, I built the device physics group in for Solar, and later on uh, led the whole t- uh, development of first solar solar modules as, as you can see i, oh, so I used under- to do very gear, different right? things <laughs> 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 I, I like to attack i like to attack new challenges that are different from what you did before
0: so right, when was Velo established then? Out of all yeah,
2: this? yeah. Velo Velo was established in June 2014. That's when I became jobless and uh, left my previous job, and we got our funding in September
1: 2014. And and was it, so you were starting it as part of Kosla or in together with Kosla Ventures? How did that work? Uh, it was no. a little bit different than normal, right? Or
2: yeah, I, I left Kosla Ventures. Oh, okay, okay. And then a few days after I left Coslo Ventures, I founded the company and then uh, started to look for funding. And mm-hmm. my, my wife gave me six months of being unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. nice <laughs> nice That's not, that was, that that is that was, nice of her actually. It <laughs> was the wrong part I get. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. And uh, and then, and then you, you go funny and then, but how do you go? Cause first initially what I've heard, you guys were a software startup, right?
2: You thought you would be able to solve this uh, through software. We, we thought that we would be able to solve that. Uh, we we didn't know we thought it, it we we actually thought from the beginning that it would be pr- uh, hardware uh, mm-hmm. i have a lot of experience uh, in hardware development so we thought it would be hardware we thought there would be a significant software component and we initially thought that we are going to build a retrofit that would be retrofitted into existing systems ah oh, okay okay yeah. and then uh, we realized pretty quickly that this is a pretty massive change in paradigm compared to how other people were doing this. And that if we wanted to partner with existing incumbents and convince them to do that, it would take us about two years of IP negotiations, mm. by, by, which one, by which time we would run out of money or they will copy everything that we do. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, so we decided to go it all, all the way.
1: So essentially what you're doing is you're, you're monitoring the melt pool very precisely and very accurately in real time. And using that to adjust the laser spot size and other parameters to 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 get a more accurate result, or or, or could you explain? Probably you could explain a lot better than I can. The, what velo Three D actually does?
2: Yeah, it's it, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. That's not how I would describe that. The way. Okay. The, okay way, yeah. the way I would the way I would describe that is is something is is different. Uh, at the heart of what we do is our flow mm-hmm. software, mm-hmm. and at the heart of enabling the the print of uh, uh, support free geometries is we take an object and we analyze it and we identify in it features geometrical features that each geometrical feature if you would try to print it naively would fail in a very specific way and that and we developed a set of few tens of recipes that are actually eliminating this failure mechanism when you're building this specific feature so what our software does is it identifies, it basically takes the object and it decomposes that to this, if you want primitive devices and each device has its own, each feature has its own manufacturing process. And then the software applies those manufacturing processes to mm-hmm. uh, each feature and it then synthesizes the whole manufacturing sequence. And mm-hmm. when what we learned is that when we uh, started to, develop these features and this re- and these recipes in many cases we needed degrees of freedom that did not exist in the existing systems so what we developed are basically i would say three categories of new hardware in in the printer itself so until now i described flow or software but then we had to do some unique things in the printer and the first thing that we had to invent is a non-contact recoder and if and we we actually like to think of that as protrusion tolerant recorder because as you are building this uh, support free structures they are invariably protruding into the layers above and when i say protruding i'm not talking about protrusion of 10 micron or 20 micron they can actually protrude half a millimeter or even more as you understand with a conventional recorder even soft recorder it's not going to be long before the recorder will be damaged or the part will move or both so Uh, we had to develop this uh, protrusion tolerance recorder that doesn't touch the part at all. And that uh, gives us uh, up to one millimeter clearance where uh, uh, elements could protrude into the next layers without without an issue. Uh, We also had to invent a completely new control scheme to the lasers, and that's what you refer. And that's what you refer to because uh, some recipes are easily uh, more easily executed in a closed loop control than in open loop. Uh, later on, we found that we can actually implement all the recipes in uh, uh, open loop, but we still use the capability in order to monitor very tightly and validate that all the processes are under control. Which brings me to the third uh, thing that we had to invent. And that's a, a set of very innovative metrologies that allows us to validate that everything that matters about the process, all the input variables into the process, and all the output variables of the process are uh, under control. So we, we we monitor few tens of very critical parameters in the build as we as we print, and uh, and those parameters uh, are validated, uh, uh, and you can validate them before the print, after the print, during the print. Uh, the the user has freedom in determining how frequently they want to validate them. But just to give you some ideas, we, we can validate the gas flow. So we can validate that every point on the build plate has the right gas flow, anytime. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can validate that uh, there is no thermal lensing or the beam stability is really good. And that all the optical path is clean. Uh, we can validate power, uh, etc. We can validate the focus map and validate that every point is focused and, and, and the beam quality is good. Etc. these are these are some of the examples of the things that are being validated as we print
1: and what was so so once you were then able to do all this I mean I mean I, I assume that, that that was much more complicated than you thought it was going to be, or
2: yes because <laughs> then
1: you then you ended up yes. build, building an entire machine, right
2: yes, we ended up figuring out that we have to build the entire machine, and in particularly when it came to the recorder, the recorder turned out to be uh, very difficult because mm-hmm. It's a, uh, we are moving about 40 times more powder than our competitors. So, so it means we have to recycle this powder. We have to screen this powder, sieve it. Uh, we, have to sieve, uh, we have to recycle the gas. There is a lot of implications for that. Uh, we have to convey a huge amount of powder. And there's a lot of architectural implications to this decision that turned out to be very challenging technically. And it took us quite some time to master all the details of that and uh, uh, kind of create a reliable solution that, that that turned out to be a really big challenge
1: but it does eliminate recorder bump which is when the part the recorder literally hits a part and then dislodges your whole build which is like one of the most frustrating and expensive faults and i guess it also just makes the that you're recording that you'll have uh, less problems with the recording in
2: general right correct so our recorder has no uh, wear to it and and basically mm-hmm. physically is not engaging with the parts we, we also actually uh, have metrology that mm-hmm. looking at the protrusions, one of the metrologies that we didn't mention is we map every layer twice actually mm-hmm. before the lasing and after the lasing. Mm-hmm. We map the height of every point mm-hmm. on, the, on, on the powder bed. So every mm-hmm. point we know how tall it is compared to the uh, rest of the uh, powder bed at a resolution of about a micrometer
1: in the recorder what does it work by air or something or how does it work
2: well we talked about this so i can i can uh, say that here as well uh, it's very deeply patented including all mm-hmm. the permutations on that uh and, and the, impl- in, in the implications to support that uh, it's it's in one mechanism we are doing basically in one mechanism and in one motion we are doing three steps in one step in the first step we are snowing a very thick layer of powder so mm-hmm. think of that as a a big curtain of powder Mm -hmm. that is falling and covering Mm -hmm. the whole powder, but with thick layer of powder. Then there is a blade that is basically, think of that as a razor blade that is shaving Mm -hmm. excess powder. And then there is a vacuum nozzle that is removing about one millimeter of powder after the blade. So, So the final point is about one millimeter below the blade. And there is a lot of complexity so uh, imagine Jesus in yeah. in actually making this to work and making it work reliably, yeah. and uh, and it took us quite some time to master it.
1: Yeah, I could imagine. I mean, I also don't think that low cost machines are exactly the way to go for you guys. Maybe if you're,
2: uh, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Uh, you and you're absolutely right. So so our <laughs> our technology is really scalable to high productivity, and high size and high uh, high speed, but it's not mm-hmm. scalable to the low end because there is a lot of extra overhead that when you're trying to make a $100,000 machine, that's not going to fly.
1: But it is kind of funny that you worked in electron beam and also on diode laser in your career, and now you're not using these technologies going forward. Or is that weird for you? Or is it just like,
2: you know, a new challenge, a new field? I'm a system engineer and a physicist. and Mm -hmm. and For me, all all problems, all technical problems are very similar. So, I, 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 I just find the challenge of understanding something very exciting. And, and the more difficult the problem is, the more exciting it is. So even in the Army, I worked on very different things, one from each other. And then and then uh, every, every one of my jobs was a job of very deep and very mm-hmm. steep learning curve. So that's how I like it
1: and then as a, to transition kind of from the being a physicist a systems engineer to go more towards like a manager a man manager of an organization beneath you is that
2: was that a challenge for you or so so i actually was thrown to manage after about one and a half years as an individual contributor and uh and and started to manage a relatively big projects and so uh, from very young age I, I actually all of my career was, was was as manager and as technical manager technical director uh, The thing that was a big challenge for me actually in Velo was the only thing I really knew well was engineering and then I knew pretty well manufacturing mm-hmm. everything else was new but, but I had to make it happen somehow how, so,
0: yeah. so how many machines <laughs> yeah how many machines has Velo now produced at this point? it's been yeah
2: yeah we are now in the production of uh, of our uh, about 35th machine or so okay uh, about uh, uh, more than 25 machines already in the field and uh, and and we operate ourselves uh, in you in dis- our lab six machines
0: can you disclose who you've sold some of those machines to or i mean i don't want to you know if, if you're under non-disclosure obviously you can't but
2: uh, yeah so uh, so i can partially disclose uh so i i'll probably it will be probably easier to explain that by sectors right mm-hmm. so uh, so we started with a very deep engagement in the space sector and and many u.s rocket companies have been using our uh, systems to make engines that they actually mm-hmm. could not produce before uh, that, that uh, they basically went all the way to where the existing additive allow them to go and then we allow them to take another mile after that. We sold systems to jet engine manufacturers, uh, people that are using that to both design better new engines as well as to replace existing uh, parts in existing engines. And, and, And what we allow them to do in this context is take an existing legacy part and move it to additive without having to redesign it so you know this concept of dfam design for additive manufacturing our, our mantra is additive manufacturing for design so yeah. so we our belief is you should not force people to change the designs that they have or want to make to make it manufacturable additive manufacturing should be capable to make the designs people need and uh, and that's a big flip on the head of what every additive manufacturing person tells kind of in talks and and our philosophy is we have to make additive manufacturing technology capable enough so that you don't have to design for it. You can design with this in mind as what it enables you to do. So talked about uh, aviation jet engines. Uh, the next application is in power generation and gas turbines. Um, we have been working with uh, chromoly we, we this is this has been public. Um, uh, a big a big supplier of spare parts uh, for uh, jet engines and gas turbines and then uh, we have been uh, uh, fortunate enough to work with some very great companies in uh, oil and gas and energy <laughs> uh, making parts for pumps and for valves and flow control and uh, uh, we one of the things that we we have been doing is we have been building a network of contract manufacturers that are really strong manufacturers, typically in machining. So, so far, all of them have been in machining, uh, contract manufacturers, and uh, to the specific industries that I just mentioned. And we help them to get into additive with an extremely differentiated solution, expanding their uh, business, expanding the portfolio of top of parts that they can make to their customers, and allowing them to expand their customer portfolio, actually. So we partnered very closely with these companies.
0: Are you profitable at this point? Or are you guys still in in we the have, stages? Or? We
2: we are we we have very strong positive gross margin. Right. So we we have always uh, focused on finding customers for whom we are doing something that is valuable enough, so that they will not have to compare us to incumbents and force us to sell at a low price. Right. So, we, we are selling at a premium to, to competitors, and, and, and we are proud of that because um, we are creating value to customers. Uh, so, we have a, a good gross margin, a very healthy gross margin, but we also have about 100 people that we need to feed their families. So, uh, we are not yet profitable. We need to have ourselves larger to get to profitability. Mm-hmm is
1: that a goal profitability or are you really very growth focused at the moment do, do, do you want to grow 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 as quickly as possible what, what, do you, what do you which ways are you going on that front
2: yeah so so definitely uh, not grow as quickly as possible and definitely not profitability i would say that the focus is technology adoption so we are very strategic about that so uh, we we are not focusing on selling systems to anyone that would buy them so for example we do not sell systems to universities not to research institutes and not to national labs. We, we are focusing on uh, customers that have manufacturing in mind and have a big business problem that we can help them solve. And each one of our customers is a customer that could buy over the next four or five years, 20 systems or right. more. So the first uh, strategic objective is to get these companies to understand the value and to get their first system, so increasing our customer base is the first objective. Many of our customers uh, within uh, the first 18 months of buying their first system already bought a few more. So, so kind of the follow-up of customers buying more machines is almost automatic. The difficult part is to get to 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 recognize the problems and the customers where we actually can solve big problems and create big value. And then get the first system to the first customer. That's that's the big focus, and expand this customer base. And we started only in the United States. We moved to Asia Pacific about a, a year ago, in at the end of uh, 2019, uh, and uh, in Q4 of 2020 we started. Uh, selling into Europe. I think I think there's uh, I think two things are interesting about the strategic focus or
1: like a go to market part of that. I mean, I like the fact that you spend a lot of time focusing on like tier 1 and tier 2 and contract because ultimately we know in a lot of these industries everybody's focusing on the OEM or everybody's focusing on the big name companies, right? And but we know that a lot of the cases the guys that are going to be making the parts are the tier 1 or the tier two or whatever depending on the business case, right? So I think that's a really bright way to talk to these people because they're much less coveted let's say they had much less attention and they're actually like probably like you said before you're helping them get involved in additive whereas the guy at the big car maker
2: or the guy
1: at Boeing or whatever he's already
2: seen everybody else you know what we find is that uh, for every OEM Mm -hmm. that wants to go vertically integrated Mm -hmm. there are probably 10 OEMs that want to rely on supply chain Mm -hmm. you have to build the supply chain for them to rely on and To be honest, I would say hobby-oriented service bureau
0: mm-hmm.
2: is not the right solution for them.
0: Are you finding also that because people for a number of years have had these other systems that they've had to compromise for, that designers have set up a process, so to speak, where they're just like, well, this is how it's done. We compromised, um, and that's how we think it should go from here. Like, Are, are there people that are stuck in older systems and unwilling to see the advantages that you're bringing here or not so
2: much (laughs) so so i I have this mental image right so so if you think about what we allow people to do the easiest way to get this image is to think about uh uh, if you if you think about the how uh, dfam parts looking you you have to look at the interior of westminster abbey Right, um, it's basically these parts look like Gothic cathedrals, right? With 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 the ceilings, you know, arch up <coughs> in 40 degrees, right? And we kind of like to think about this, uh, and we see that that there are a lot of people are. We we kind of think of them as the the guild of cathedral builders, and <laughs> and, and and then we basically come and say you don't have to build any 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 more like that. You can do things that. You you didn't have to do before, and what we find is that when you talk with engineer, uh, it's much easier. It's easy engineers that are design engineers that are trying to to make better products, or even manufacturing engineers that are trying to overcome manufacturing problems. Mm -hmm. It's very easy for them to say, "Oh, really? I don't have to do this. This is so awesome. Let's (laughs) let's let's try." Then, but then when you go and you talk with someone that you know already has been running for five years an additive manufacturing system and basically built their career around figuring out how to get away with the limitations of the current manufacturing technology. And that's really their superpower. Right. Basically the message is, you know, this job is getting obsolete. Right. And they don't want to hear that. (laughs) Go go away. (laughs) So so it's a a more friction uh, conversation there. But, uh, but, the other part of this is we partnered with Go Engineer, and and in addition to being a distributor of Stratasys, the largest I think distributor of Stratasys, Go Engineer is uh, the largest distributor of uh, SolidWorks, hmm. and and they have really good access to a lot of designers, and they consult a lot of designers on how to use the tools that they have to get better, and to make better products. So we are very excited about proliferating the message of you can get better products if you are using additive manufacturing. And if you're using additive manufacturing with Velo3D, then if you're using the old manufacturing ways exclusively. So, and I don't think of additive or Velo3D as the solution that will replace all manufacturing technology. It's a very important tool in the toolbox for engineers to solve problems. It's not the one solution for everything.
1: Right. What I also like is the fact that, okay, like a lot of people were focused on, Hey, if we get specified or we get like a, a standardized for Boeing or Airbus, then we're in it for life, let's say. But you guys, I think realize that there was a lot of other companies, like for example, oil and gas that also would, would stick with one supplier as long as it works well. And they would also have a lot, a lot of volume. So what I like is also that idea of, of focusing on the companies that'll buy 20. And also I like that, that in terms of verticals, you guys like, are for example, focusing on things like heat exchangers, um, and impellers and stuff like that the stuff that were it's it's very very valuable uh to get involved are there other um you know uh you, you see something like heat exchangers of like through that through that part or application could we really grow additive in in, in a lot of different industries as well and especially if you do then do that do the through those contract manufacturer people right
2: yeah absolutely so we already are seeing that you mentioned heat exchangers uh, and we, we are seeing growth of, uh, in, with many customers in this segment. We're also um, uh, uh, seeing a very good application of this technology in, uh, you mentioned the impellers, but it's not only impellers, it's impeller and it's everything that goes into pumps. Uh, yeah. It could be the pump bodies and it could be flow control. We see a lot of uh, uh, application field there, And uh, yeah. definitely uh, the point that you made about going beyond uh, the big, you know, Boeing, Airbus uh, players is, uh, holds water. There is uh, the the supply chain of aerospace is massive.
1: I think it's it's, it's very interesting that you have this, this this kind of very focused approach. But um, do you think that the, the going forward? I mean, are you going to then uh, are you going to then just gradually keep building on these small customers or these applications, or are you going to at one point? Uh, stay away from this focus and, and get a get a much more scatter shot kind of more shotgun type of approach. Or you
2: you mentioned small companies. Not all our customers are small, right? So we are working also with with big OEMs and with and and also with big contract manufacturers. But um, we our our focus is we we have a question that every uh, one of our salespeople have to answer when they are trying to sell a system to someone. And this question is the answer to the uh, four letter acronym, WTFV. The, the W stands for Y, uh, the T stands for DEH, uh, and the V stands for VELO. And uh, and uh, I will let your imagination feel what F stands for. The The, per- the question here is, how can we solve this specific customer a real specific problem or a real roadmap problem why why velo why uh, uh, shouldn't they use a commodity additive manufacturing solution uh, or even use additive manufacturing solution at all so this maniacal focus about understanding uh, the strategic value to the customer and only focusing on customers that we really can help in a significant way uh, i don't think this is going to go away if we Build the base of customers that each one of them is benefiting a lot from what we do. These customers are like uh, they would grow. they will These seeds will become big trees with a lot of uh, revenue for us uh, going forward as they will do repeat orders. If you are successful in selling a system to someone that actually don't need that, you get a dissatisfied customer that is a drag on your on on, on you going forward. So. Right so we this is not going to go away absolutely not we're just going to do it bigger and bigger but uh, the focus is absolutely going to stay on first let's find how we can help the customer then we are then we are selling them
1: one interesting uh, thing i I I was thinking about looking at these applications a lot like like you you only list three on the website at the moment is micro turbines turbo pumps and heat exchangers right so you know, that, I think that's also really that's again that focus thing again, right? Because that that's what you believe is, is going to bring in customers, and presumably all the people making uh, you know rocket engines already know who you are. So so uh, so uh, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that's again again it does kind of stave your point that you don't have twenty things there. You don't have the same applications there that everyone else does, right? Yeah, we so, don't have
2: thirty cases. Yeah. So so one of the things that we do not do, for example, we we really avoid doing, is a structural components. Mm-hmm. so we, we think this is a poor application of powder bed fusion to begin with and and this is the place where we don't see a lot of advantage for us so we just don't do that so when people uh you know when we when they analyze the customer and say this customer you know is thinking about using it for structural components like that's not us now when, when where we are shining and where i think powder bed fusion in theory could shine is a uh, flow applications and fluid management application fluid and heat management application or fluid and heat uh, flow applications and and those are you know we you mentioned few applications and those are the applications that we already have case studies we will publish case studies in more applications of uh, of, of uh, f- fluids and uh, heat control but those are the applications where powder bed and specifically Velo has has legs, and those are the applications we are focusing on. We view ourselves not first and foremost as a 3D printing company, but as a company that has a many advanced manufacturing technology for high-value parts, <clears throat> and, and these are the places where we see a lot of value. And these are the places we want to focus. Uh, one area that uh, we will focus one day, but we are not focusing today. Is a, a medical and orthopedic, so we are not doing anything in orthopedic right now. Simply from focus perspective, we may we may go there one day, but not yet.
0: Yeah. Are, are you doing so, anything that? in robotics, out of curiosity? with, you're talking about flow, and so I know that, for example, Boston Dynamics has been using 3D printing to integrate the flow channel for hydraulics in their robots, and that's part of their their secret sauce, so to speak. Um,
2: well we 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 may follow up on that
0: <laughs> <laughs> you maybe we should call <laughs> <us the> do <Dynamics. laughs> <laughs> yes
1: yeah. no i don't so, like the way they, they treat their robots badly. no it's going to come so back that, that's, so that's going to come back at us dude <laughs> i have an organization called pax robotica and you can join it and it's like uh, an organization that preaches the, uh, that the that the robots will bring peace so. <laughs> Join that, and I'm opposed to. I would like to take a stand against Boston Robotics and the repeated abuse of robots.
2: <laughs> I see. <laughs> I see. Um, so yeah. So so we have not done yet work in robotics, mm. uh, but uh, we may one day. Mm.
1: Yeah. And 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 where would you like to go with the company if you're looking at like a five-year time frame? Like where would you like to be with the 3D in five years from now?
2: Yeah. So so Vela 3D is going to be a public company. Hmm. And and Velo3D, you know, over the next five years, and Velo3D is going to be a company. The way we think about this is we operate, we identify this high-value market for metal parts as about a $100 billion market today, and it's growing at about 5%. So by the end of the decade, it would be almost $200 billion, about $180 billion market. Uh, This market has been, the, the additive manufacturing portion of that has been less than $2 billion so far. And uh, we think that with our focused approach on finding applications in this high-value segment where people can get better products, they can get lower costs, they can get much shorter lead time using additive and convert them to additive, as we are seeing that the vast majority of those applications are applications that the existing additive, the commodity additive, cannot solve their problems so as we are looking forward we're seeing a future that we are actually the ones driving the adoption of additive into this high value segment and by the end of the decade i hope to have about 20 billion dollars of market that we created and that we sell to in this high value market and to be 10 percent of this market
1: it sounds very reasonably doable, uh, uh, and then of course for for the for the uninitiated, I mean, there would be a lot of binder jetting companies, and those are public, and those are very very interesting to a lot of world, a lot of people out there at the moment. How would you differentiate yourself towards uh, like the binder jet crowd? Let's say.
2: Yeah. So so it's actually very simple. Binder jetting uh, is a fantastic application for mass production of low value, low criticality parts super simple so when you don't really care about the material properties when you have small parts uh, with a lot of uh, geometrical limitations uh, for example on wall thicknesses etc uh, uh, and uh, and you are uh, not super uh, uh, sensitive to the material properties it's a, it's a it's a great technology we have not yet met a single customer where we were talking with and they were debating between Velo 3D other additive manufacturing uh, other powder bed fusion and binder jetting this is just not in the in the cards. binder jetting is great technology for automotive consumer applications for high volume and low uh, low criticality parts low cost parts and uh, you know I, I I really hope that some of these companies will be successful uh, I think that we have to remember that x1 has been doing this for about 20 years now this is not a very large market yet it may grow but it's not a very large market yet so we'll see how this market develops
1: is there kind of a vor- is there a typical velo 3d person or a core ethos of the company or a kind of thing uh you guys seem to be very precise and very driven is there a kind of like a little a kind of a saying or a creed or a kind of like a type of person that the Velo person is like
2: yeah so we the the, the three things that we cherish is uh, uh, doers innovators and leaders. We believe that every person that works in Velo has the opportunity to role model these three things and, to, and to, uh, to demonstrate. And when we talk about doers, we talk about people that deliver results. And when we talk about leaders, we're talking about people that take initiative, that stand up to authority, that say their mind. And innovators are people that think outside the box and are willing to challenge convention. So, uh, uh, every month in our all hands meeting we take some examples of people that have demonstrated these values over the last months so this is what we cherish and this is the organization we build
1: okay hey benny thank you so much for for
2: for being on the 3d pod joris i really enjoyed it it was totally fun thank you so much okay. for having me glad to hear that yeah
1: yeah oh, i'm so glad i'm so glad you liked it and yeah max thank you very much for being here uh, as well always a fun time joris Excellent. Excellent. And my name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of The 3D Pod, and thank you very much for listening.
0: You've been listening to The 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.